Hello, and welcome to episode 8 of the Highway to Health show. I'm your host, Dr. E, the Stem Cell Guy. And joining me today is Dr. Barry Smeltzer. I met Dr. Barry about 4 or 5 years ago when I spoke for the first time at Generation Rescue's uh, Autism Education Summit. He's been focusing for several years in environmental medicine, and he has seen how our environment is affecting us, is affecting our children, is affecting our development, and creating chronic disease. As a matter of fact, during this episode, he mentioned that up to 50% of children in America right now have some sort of chronic disorder going on. All of these things are not only important, but up to a certain point, they're even scary. Now, the good news is there's a lot of things that we can do to prevent these toxic exposures. During this episode, we're going to be talking a lot about different things that we tend to believe that are safe. And he will share with us how these different exposures are currently affecting us and how we can prevent them. Wi-Fi, light exposure, being outdoors, vitamin D deficiencies. We're going to be talking about all those things so that you can protect yourself and your family and not only protect yourselves, but also strive towards better health. We share a lot about what he does raising his kids. He's a father of six. He even had a child in the autistic spectrum that doesn't qualify anymore for that diagnosis. So needless to say, I think you're going to find the information in this episode very actionable. Here's my conversation with Dr. Barry Smeltzer. Are you ready to live ageless? Want to discover alternative health choices, cutting edge nutrition, and fitness for the entire family? Welcome to Highway to Health Show with your host, Dr. E, the stem cell guy, where Dr. E helps you live ageless. And now, here's your host, Dr. E. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Highway to Health Show. I'm your host, Dr. E, the stem cell guy. And today with me is a very special guest. I've had the privilege of knowing him for several years now. We'll talk a little bit about that in a second. But first, let me tell you that Barry Smeltzer is the owner and operator of Healing Provisions in San Antonio and Austin. His practice utilizes environmental and biomedical medicine techniques to guide families to take control of their health. He has spoken around the world regarding the environmental causes of chronic disease and autoimmunity and is on the teaching faculty of the Academy of Environmental Medicine's Low-Dose Allergen Therapy Program. His focus on children includes finding the medical causes of autism and ADHD and guiding families to address the root causes. He has been recognized as a preferred provider by both TACA and Generation Rescue. He's a proud parent of six children, one of which has recovered from the medical causes of autism and no longer qualifies to be in the spectrum. And today we're very, very, very excited to have him here. Barry, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Dr. E. It's really a pleasure and an honor to be involved with what I think is a very important and worthwhile venture that you're putting out because I think that to get the word on getting this type of lifestyle out to the masses, it's extremely important. Absolutely. That's part of the reason for doing this whole thing, being able to help educate people out in health. In reality, health is is very simple, but outside, we've made it so complicated, so overwhelming that people usually end up not taking action. And this permeates not just to them, but to their families, which is super, super important because our kids are really getting and inheriting our bad habits of health, nutrition, lifestyle, and all these different things. I think that it also encompasses what used to be a normal is no longer normal. It's almost apples to oranges 
in regards to the world that our children are growing up in versus what we grew up in. And we can give all sorts of examples in that. But it's one of the reasons why I got so heavily involved in environmental medicine is because of the fact that there is so much from an exposure standpoint that we can point to that can affect our health now that either didn't exist 25, 30 years ago or was never utilized to the extent it is now. So that exponential increase in exposure is now to where you have to be actively addressing your health status to just maintain being healthy. And you don't have to go very far to see that greater than 50% of children growing up in public school has some chronic disease that they require as a medication. That to me is a you know, example of why this is critical at this point. Our future is at stake and managing illness is not health. And that's why this part of education is so critically important. I was just having this conversation literally last night with Evelyn, my wife, and we were talking about a couple of things. You know, it's starting to get hot here in California, and she starts worrying about a baby, you know, 18-month toddler right now. And they go outside, and she said, you know what? I try to get him out. I try to take off his shirt so that he can get some sun, and he can get some of this exposure, but it's getting really, really hot. I think we need to look into sunscreen and start applying it. So then we start having that conversation about, well, do you really want to be smothering him in sunscreen every day for these many hours. And she even got a little bit frustrated. She's like, well, the problem is that it's getting so hot, I cannot get him in the pool because it's full of chlorine. It's the pool here for the entire complex. So it's 100% chlorine. And I cannot do the sunscreen and I cannot do this. It wasn't like this when we were growing up and we're okay. But that exactly what you just said, that's a big difference. The world that our children are growing up in today is not the same world and it's not the same exposures that we had 25, 30, 35 years ago, right? Correct. And it's eternally frustrating to me because I get that type of a conversation every day where families are asking me, why is it that we have to be so diligent on protecting our children where they feel like they have to hover over them to prevent them from being exposed because otherwise they're going to end up with these chronic issues from an inflammatory standpoint. And to go to your question from a sunscreen standpoint, whether people know it or not, there are wonderful resources out there that you can check that do give recommendations specifically for something like sunscreen. The name of the website, in case any of your listeners want to know, is it's called Environmental Working Group. And it's www.e as in Edward, w as in work, and g as in good, dot o-r-g. And ewd.org every year publishes a safe sunscreen recommendation that they do the research and they are the chemical authority for the Environmental Medicine Academy. And they do so much research into all these different things that they could be exposed to that could harm them that they then find out which ones are safest. So if it is something where you want to do kind of that in between where you want to get them out for a little bit, get them some sun, but if he's out for longer than an hour or you know, an hour and a half, you don't want him to burn, then you can apply some of this safer sunscreen and that way, then you don't feel like you are trapped in this catch-22 of not being able to get outside. Yeah. And then again, 
it's also a matter of understanding. It is not the same. Like she and I were having this conversation, like I said yesterday. And like I said, you know what? If you're going to be going to the beach for a week, then it's okay. Okay. You apply the sunscreen, you do these things, but making it a part of the routine for the baby for three to six months at a time here in California, that every day he has all the sunscreen being applied to him. I think this is another concept that we really need to understand. It's not about not being exposed to these chemicals at all. It's also about managing the time and the amount of exposures, correct? Absolutely. And you know, and from the intro, we have six kids. So we've been through this a few times. And we've gotten to the point now where we're South Texas. So we're in the same climate, same type of situation where we're hot a lot of the year. And I honestly feel that I don't remember the last time that my two youngest boys had sunscreen on them other than maybe on a vacation on a beach. But when they're out playing and they'll play for hours at a time, we may consider bringing them in a little bit for a while, but they tan. I mean, these kids come in and they've got tans that make my wife and I just jealous because they look amazing and they naturally develop that tanning ability and they don't burn. So come midsummer to late summer, I mean, this is when they were one and a half, two years old even, they look like little copper tone babies. They had little tan lines where his diaper was. So it's not a question of them getting burned. You keep common sense and you bring them in when you feel like they're getting to the point where they're getting enough exposure. But if you really don't want to add in that chemical toxicity, you can do it. And by the midsummer, they've got enough tan in them that they won't burn being anywhere. That's a great point you make. One is obviously having common sense, like just go outside, play, take your shirt off if you're too hot. But Also, think about it. You're not going to be out there from 11 in the morning till four in the afternoon. Come in, take a couple of breaks, hydrate well, do all these things. And that way you will be able to manage your chemical exposures in terms of sunscreen and all those things. But as well, there are a lot of other different exposures that we suffer every day just from junk light that we need to mitigate by going outside and It is so important, and I'm sure you'll be able to share a lot more about this with us, being a practitioner and working with children, especially special needs children. How important is it for us to be spending time outdoors in the sun? Wow. I mean, this is, it's a great subject, Dr. E, because one of the things that I find so common, and before I get to that, I wanted to let you know too, from a chemical standpoint in sunscreen, it's become such a problem. And all you have to do is look in the news, but the state of Hawaii has literally outlawed sunscreen because it's so much in their beaches, it's killing their coral. That's how much the chemical exposure can harm not only our environment, but think of it. If there's that much that's in the ocean that's killing coral just from being on people, how much exposure are those people getting? on a daily basis living in that area. Now, granted, a lot of it are tourists, but I mean, that's the kind of exposure we're talking about and that's the kind of harm that can happen. So just think of it from a coral reef is dying because of sunscreen exposure to such an extent that the state banned it. Yeah, we tend to think that if we put it on our skin, it's outside, it's not on our skin, but there's this great way of looking at it that if you think of your skin as thousands and millions of tiny little mouths that are absorbing different amounts of whatever we're exposing it to, that's going to make you rethink everything that you apply on it. 
Yeah, it's our largest organ. It covers our entire body. And all you got to think about is any type of medications that people put on their skin that are topical. You know, people put pain patches on and they literally feel the effects systemically. So if that doesn't tell you, or a nicotine patch for people who are smokers, they'll tell you right now that they feel the effect. But to go back to your point, one of the most common deficiencies that I see, and I test over 1,500 children at this point, the most common deficiency that I see is vitamin D deficiency. And vitamin D is the sunshine vitamin. So you get it from just being outside. But what's interesting, though, is I actually look at it not even as much of an as a lack of exposure, which there is, but what does vitamin D do in our body? It's a steroid. It helps with inflammation. It helps with immune function. It helps to build strong bones. And if I'm seeing that degree of deficiency, think of all the things downstream that are being affected. You talk about immune dysregulation, which means you're also going to have chronic inflammation. And of the top most problematic chronic diseases in our country, I can tell you right now, every single one of them is either due to autoimmunity or chronic inflammation. So just something as simple as getting outside, getting some vitamin D, and then adding a little bit. Because I have kids and adults and families that are from Puerto Rico, San Juan, South Texas, where we have a ton of sun Mexico, Monterey, and we have a ton of sun nine to 10 months out of the year, if not longer. And their vitamin D levels, the normal ranges for a vitamin D level is 30 to 100, okay, nanograms per deciliter. And if that is something that should be for someone who gets that much sun exposure, it should be somewhere in that 50 to 80 range, at least, right? Yeah. I can tell you right now, that if there's a person that has not supplemented with vitamin D, I have not yet seen one above 40. Wow. And the vast majority of them are below 30, which means they're even lower than normal in South Texas. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. That's what's super impressive. Now, if this is what you're currently seeing in your practice and people are listening to us, let's say Northern Europe in the Northern US in Canada, where sure, during summer, you get a lot of sun, but then the rest of the year, you're not seeing the sun. You're not getting this vitamin D. So it is incredibly, incredibly important. And I was not aware of the numbers. I knew that we're trending downwards. And I think a big part of it is that we're not spending enough time outdoors or we're spending way too much time indoors because then that's the thing. One, we're not getting sun. And second, we're getting a lot of artificial light. So those two things work together to disrupt our vitamin D. And in addition to that too, think of the demand that the vitamin D is being put under. You know, we have all these things that are causing inflammation in our body and vitamin D is being used. So not only is it a lack of supply, it's a huge demand. So all of those factors playing together leads to this chronic immune dysregulation. So it's not just a get outside more, it's also get moving more, get exercising, get that sweat going, get detoxification going, get that liver working correct. There's so many ills that happen when you don't get out and get moving. Yeah. Now the important thing as well here, or one thing that really strikes me as very, very important is in the case of children, 
having these vitamin D deficiencies because they're simply not spending enough time outside and they're not getting the nutrition that they need. And they're exposed to a lot of different environmental toxins and bad actors that are influencing their inflammation. This greatly affects brain development because it's not the same for you or I to have a vitamin D deficiency where it affects us in several different areas. But in the case of children, they're developing, these brains are developing, they're creating these new neural connections, they're creating all this brain plasticity, and they're trying to soak up and learn how much harm does it do them to not have this adequate levels of vitamin D. You know this even better than I do from a stem cell standpoint. The new neural connections that are being made, if you have inflammation in that process, those connections don't ever get made. And then that's going to stop and it's going to blunt neural development. So it's not even just the actual brain development, but think of how much they're growing all over and how many children are now having trouble with coordination and trouble with lack of growth or obesity because they are chronically inflamed. So vitamin D plays a role in all of that. So yes, it's kind of turning into more of a vitamin D discussion, but it is critically important. And it is a critically deficient nutrient that it's kind of a microcosm of our culture, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it is crazy how much it has increased in the last few years. We're just talking about that at the beginning of the episode, how we're currently seeing today is completely different to what we saw just one or two generations ago because the world has so radically changed. And some people might think that, oh, yo, you're just exaggerating. No, it's a completely different environment and exposures and lack of certain things and certain nutrients in our food, in our environment. So it is very, very important for us to really start realizing, recognizing this and taking steps to avoid it for our families. The tip of the iceberg, Dr. E, the questions that will hopefully get raised by even us just having this little bit, because this is just an example of the bigger picture of why is it that vitamin D levels are so low? Well, I can take you all the way into the food that we eat, the air that we breathe, the water that we're exposed to, what's being put into the water, what's being put into our soil, what's in our air. And all of which is apples to oranges from 35, 40 years ago. And that leads to how many people have allergies now? Everybody pretty much, right? How many people had allergies 50 years ago? Maybe one grandpa had an old you know, hay fever that they used to have a handkerchief for. It's just scratching the surface of why this is an entire new field of medicine that's expanding exponentially because of the need. The need is dramatic. And then that leads to some of these expressions from an epigenetic standpoint. So I mean, it can get really complicated and we can take a deep dive very quickly, but to get into the usable points from this is that solutions can be simple. Get outside, you're hearing us, get exposure, get moving, get sweating you can avoid a lot of the ills that people are chronically managing by preventing it in the first place. Yeah, that's a great point that you make. And I try to emphasize that a lot because if people suddenly decide that our listeners, they suddenly decide that they want to make better health choices or they want to decrease their exposure, they basically want to live a healthier life and they start reading and they hear 
the first part of our conversation is going to go like, oh my God, I'd rather just not listen to this. But in reality, it's, it's very, very simple. It's just a couple of things. Even when you're talking about, you know, right now we've spoken a lot about vitamin D and being out in the sun and all those things, but then you can also think about electromagnetic fields and how you can decrease your exposure. I'm not telling people to stop using their cell phones. I'm just telling them, just be aware of what this does to you. My wife made fun because when we first moved in here, we have a three-bedroom apartment and the baby wasn't the last one so that he could be isolated when we we're watching TV or when we we're doing anything. But when we moved in, we realized that the electrical room is right next door to what would have been his room. So I rented out equipment and I checked it. And sure enough, the electromagnetic fields were incredibly higher in that one room. So I had him moved. Now, has this made a difference? I don't know. But I can tell you from what I know about electromagnetic fields that at least I sleep better at night. And he's been sleeping well. And I know that he's not constantly being exposed because his brain is growing. His cells are developing. All these things that I definitely don't want near him. We're very careful about having our phones in airplane mode. He'll take it off our hands. Okay, we put it in airplane mode. There you go. Play with it. And he pretends to put it to his ear and he pretends to do all those things. So we try to be careful. What do you think that people should be careful about in everyday life. All right. Well, let's start with what you just talked about, because it is very relevant to what is going to turn into another type of exposure. You know, we talk a lot about what's in our food, making sure that you limit your chemical exposure from the food that we eat. We talk a lot about limiting what's in our water. So filter your water. EMFs is a whole nother level of pollution that we have to think about and you are exactly right, Dr. E, when you stated you checked his room and it was polluted. You have to think of this. His room was polluted. When you are in a room full of smokers, you may not think that you're harming yourself that day. But if you have a room full of smokers and your baby's sleeping in that room every day, do you think he's not going to have a higher risk of asthma? have a higher risk of allergies, and maybe leads to lung cancer in his 20s and 30s, highly likely. We don't know the long-term risks of electromagnetic fields yet because the actual technology hasn't been out for more than 25 years. So we don't know what that long-term effect is, but what we are knowing is that levels of cancer, especially brain cancer, have never been higher. The levels of pediatric cancers have never been higher. The levels of neurologic developmental disorders have never been higher. So to say that an ounce of prevention is not necessary, I completely disagree. I think everything you're doing is proof positive that your baby is developing so beautifully, not despite what you're doing, Dr. E, it's because of what you're doing. And I can give you all sorts of examples and all sorts of literature that demonstrates why by being diligent and being reasonable, you didn't move out of the complex, you didn't put up lead walls, you just moved him away, you tested the area, you probably tested the room he was going to be in and found out those levels of pollution were greatly reduced. Yep. And you can do that giving him something that reduces his exposure with the phones, reducing his exposure with wireless routers. All of it matters. Dirty electricity has got to be thought of the same way that clean air is thought of. And you don't go to a polluted area and live there when you know that you could get sick. Yeah, I think a big part of the problem is that we cannot see 
electromagnetic fields. We cannot feel them or smell them in a way that we can feel or smell a smoker's room or in a way that we can feel certain other types of fields that affect us. But I think all those different things that we're discovering nowadays that are really polluting our environment, that can be the explanation to why are we seeing a lot of these different numbers, not just in types of cancers, but in autism, ADHDs, all these different disorders, why are we seeing more of them? And I think the very lazy answer is to say, oh, because we're getting better at identifying them. I think we are. We definitely are. But I also think there's got to be something else. I think we are creating unwillingly or knowingly, we're creating an environment that is making us a lot more susceptible to all these things. Yeah. And you don't have to go very far. I literally feel like I have a sixth sense because I can go to any grocery store. I can go to any church. I can go to any department store. And I can literally look and see that kid's got a chronic issue, that kid's got allergies, that kid's got ADHD, that child has autism. And it's simply by just looking at them. And I'll tell you right now, that wasn't happening 25, 30 years ago. You go to any public school and you can see the difference. The amount of special education needs is not because of better diagnosis, it's because our kids are sicker, they're more chronically ill, they're more developmentally damaged. And it is everything to do with the world we live in. And it's something where I used to be, you know, more lenient on, hey, we're doing the best we can, but we truly aren't. We are not doing the best we can. We are absolutely putting our future at risk. And what happens to great societies is when they get complacent, they stop innovating, they stop questioning, they stop being hungry, they stop trying to lead they get what I call fat and bloated and they end up getting destroyed. Yeah. And I worry about that because I truly feel like our country is at risk of a really bad epidemic. And it's not going to be one that we can do anything about because it's going to affect everybody because we are not ready to, and we're not prepared from a health standpoint overall to fight something that could actually be affecting the entire population. It's been mentioned several times how the European Union is a lot stricter than what's allowed in this side of the world. And considering that, most likely, there's no legislators listening to this or no <laughs> big politicians, let alone precedents. Don't sell yourself short. You may have some silent lurkers. You never know. Well, then it's a great thing what I'm going to ask you right now. What do you think as parents, as concerned individuals, what do you think we can do to really start rolling the ball in the right direction. We're starting to realize these things. These things are real. They're affecting us. How can we bring awareness to this? It's a great question because something that a really great friend of mine, Nico LaHood, used to say is, not used to say, he says all the time, it's a, it's a Bible passage, but my people shall perish for lack of knowledge. And what it is, is that What's happening, and we do see it in small amounts already, and it's starting to grow and it's starting to swell, is that people are sick and tired of being sick and tired. And our medical community is trying to keep it much more of this status quo. You know, everything's okay here. Don't worry about it. And they're losing trust of the society. They're losing trust in, from people. And what's happening is, is that they're going out and they're learning on their own. And they're questioning and they're able to read studies because the internet that's one positive is that people can actually look at literature and they can see 
that no, this stuff does matter. And how do I change this? How do I look into this? How can we test our water? How can we do EMF readings? Can we do this stuff? Because our doctors don't even know what we're talking about. So from a health side of things, knowledge is power. And I think it's going to happen that our medical society is either going to need to catch up or they're just going to basically become non-essential. And in our community, it's happening more and more where our parents are much more partners in crime than they are patients because they're some of my most voracious researchers. And if I have a question that I am looking for an answer, I've got an army of researcher parents, mostly moms, that have all sorts of skills and talents. And I'll tell you right now, you want to talk about somebody who will get an answer, you talk to a concerned mother. And she will find the obscure study. She will find the resource. She'll find the product that's safe. I have no worries because I get that on a daily basis from our families. And they tell me, okay, well, what do you think of this, Barry? And then I'll look it up and be like, holy smokes, I didn't even realize this existed. So I just look at it as if we work more as a community in that type of collaborative setting, we could conquer anything. Yeah, I think that goes closer to what I've always advocated. And it's not like I suddenly was illuminated and realized that, oh, this is the way we should go. But upon starting to work with the autism community several years ago and meeting these moms that before, and I've said this to many of them, I've said this at conferences, when I first started working with the autism community, coming from a 100% traditional allopathic medicine training, I was the first one to think that they were wacko, mm -hmm. you know, anti-vaxxers and they don't want to do this and they're against everything and they're against all these other different things. But something really funny started happening when we saw our first autistic children and mom said, well, this happened right after the vaccines. And I said, that's crazy. It's been proven over and over that that's not the case. And then the second one said the same thing. And then the fourth one and the seventh one and the twelfth one at some point you really start saying like, I don't think it's just a script that they all learn. I don't think there's a lot of commonalities of what they're sharing. They all had in common that they visited their pediatrician and their pediatrician told them that it was all in their head and that the child was fine. And I think that we've started going down this path where we have as doctors kind of like pushed away many of these patients and many of these patients have responded just in how you said it. You know what? this is not good enough for me. I'm going to do the research. I'm going to find out what could work. And I agree with you that the internet is a great resource, but I also think that it can be a double-edged sword because a lot of the times... No doubt, Dr. E, it's going to be a double-edged sword because it's unfiltered. Exactly. And I think that's where a role as health professional, not just as doctors, but anyone who's trained in the health fields, I think we need to acknowledge that people will be seeking out information and our role right now is no longer to tell them what to do and fix their problems, but to team up with them and guide them, be more of a coach and say that, okay, so this is the way that we want to go for this and this and this other reason and try to help them understand and be humble enough to say, you know what? I don't know, maybe let's give it a shot. Or you did this and it worked. Let me be open enough to say, okay, maybe I was wrong. Let me look into that. And I have, as I'm sure you do as well, but from so many years in the stem cell field, 
I have so many examples of people getting better from previously untreatable conditions and their doctors completely dismissing them, saying things such as, we must have misdiagnosed you before because it's not possible, that it is just jaw-dropping a lot of the times. Yeah, just your examples are such a microcosm of the bigger picture because your work creates that kind of change. It creates that level playing field that allows that body to do things that previously they didn't think were even possible. Same thing happens in my field all the time, especially when I'm working with kids. These kids will get better and to the point where they're no longer, just like with Nick, they're no longer even on an autism spectrum or even an ADHD spectrum. And, you know, family members or pediatricians, I've had developmental pediatricians and neurologists reports from my family stating, wow, he really did great with that therapy. Wow, he just grew out of it. So good for you guys. And these families look at these guys and women and just say, you've got to be kidding me. And now we kind of smile and laugh because I tell them this before we even get started. I'm like, you know, your kid may get to the point where he no longer has a diagnosis. It's not by any means guaranteed, but it's a possibility. And people have such wonderful response to that because they're educated and they're like, yeah, we get that, but don't expect to ever be acknowledged. Don't ever expect that your physician, pediatrician, or family members will ever give you the credit. Yeah, they always have that hope that when I go back and I show them, they're going to completely change their ways. And most of the time, the answer is that that's not going to happen. And I do want to be clear, though, before I get any other messages, I'm not against vaccinations. I think that on a public health scale, they've done a lot of good. But I do think that we need to work more towards ensuring that they're safe for everyone. Because obviously, if you look at it and you say, okay, not everyone gets it, and the vast majority just get the benefits with minimal side effects, then it's easy to dismiss the rest of the research. But I think that how can you explain this to the one person who did get vaccine injured? Well, but everybody else did well. They're not going to care about that. So I do think we need to do work on that end. My son, we've made the decision. He is vaccinated for most of them. A few of them that simply didn't make sense to us, like hepatitis B at birth, it simply didn't make sense to me and my wife. But for the rest of them, most of them, we are following a vaccination schedule. But I do think that our job as doctors and for those who are pediatricians and working with parents is to educate them, to give them the resources and to not dismiss the possibility that they can actually understand what is being told. Well, here's the other part too, though, is wouldn't it be nice if there were options? We equate preventative medicine in our country with vaccination. Wouldn't it be nice to know that there were other possibilities? Wouldn't it be nice to know that there's risks involved with every choice that you make as a parent, that whether you choose to vaccinate or don't choose to vaccinate, here's your risks. Here's what you can possibly get. You can either get a vaccine-preventable illness, but if you choose to vaccinate, there's these risks from what's in it. There's risks from what it does to the immune system. There's risks that things that, you know, you, if you don't be careful, you could end up with chronic inflammation and autoimmunity. It would be nice to have that conversation so that educated parents will make what we call an informed choice. And that then you can make a confident choice and then give them the option to split it up. Give them the option to choose one or another or even split up the vaccine. So if people who do want to do something, they can then make that choice. This preventative health issue 
from a healthcare industry has been very convoluted from a standpoint of all the different interests and money and pharmaceuticals. It's really gotten away from public health in general, which when we thought of public health 50, 60 years ago, before all the vaccines, nutrition was a huge part of preventative health. You had to make sure you got specific amounts of food in your diet or else your doctor would tell you, you're going to get sick. You don't have enough vitamins. There's not enough nutrients. There's not enough minerals in your diet. What are you thinking? I have an old medical book from the 1950s. The nutrition section of it was almost 150 pages. Now you look at any medical book, you know this better than I do. There's not one page on nutrition other than basically refer to dietitian. But there's a pill for that. Right, exactly. So I think that the overall discussion shouldn't be whether or not to vaccinate. The question should be, what's going to keep our children the healthiest? And that way, then, if you do choose to vaccinate, the chance of them tolerating it without side effects will be better. If you choose not to vaccinate them, you have a child who's going to have immune system that can fight off 90% of it anyway. And that was the rest or the second part of my comment. The reason that we've made the decision that we made is because we know that we're doing everything else to get them to the right point. We're making sure that his meals are adequate. We're making sure that he's getting the right nutrients. You know, Evelyn was adamant about breastfeeding for as long as she was able to. And we're very careful with what he eats. He's never even tried a sweet. And she and I will indulge. We'll have ice cream from time to time, but always when he's asleep. (laughs) Oh, you're that kind of parent, are you? I kid you not, because (laughs) what we want to make sure is that when he tries it, he is aware of how he feels from it. Right now, he doesn't miss it. We're not torturing him because he's never had it. He doesn't miss it. But what we want is we want to make sure that when he's old enough you know, two or three to really understand the differences and see how this makes you feel because you have not been hooked on sugar since you were eight months old. Let's see how you like it. Let's see if you enjoy it. And if you do, then you can also indulge from time to time like we do. I mean, leading by example, leading by example, what is that? (laughs) Well, and it's funny that you mentioned it. I just had another conversation a few days ago with Michael Ashford, and he does a lot of education for parents, mostly for dads, into healthy lifestyle. (laughs) And that's exactly what he says. He says, if your kids don't see you working out and taking care of yourself, don't expect them to want to work out and play outside. If you're Netflix and chilling every day, well, or just Netflixing, don't expect them to want to do this. No, kids do what they see, not what they're told all the time. And you want to create a lifestyle that leads to better health than live a lifestyle that leads to better health. Exactly. I could not agree more. Now, before we wrap this up, what are your top two or three things that you would recommend anyone listening to us? What do you think they should look at and reconsider when they finish this episode, if they're at home, if they're on their way back? What are the top two or three things that they should look into or they can start changing right away to improve their health and their family's health? Well, I think from an education standpoint, Dr. E, the best thing they can do is just start asking the questions of what's in my water? What's in the air? What is an EMF? And you start to just Google some of that stuff and you're going to get a wealth of information. Now, if they're wanting to go a little bit deeper and to start looking for products that are safe, looking for chemicals that are safe, looking for cosmetics, people don't even think about stuff like that. Environmental Working Group, that website I gave you is an encyclopedia of information 
um, what to choose, what not to choose. They have entire grocery lists of different things. They have cosmetics. They have water. You can actually look up your zip code for the tap water in your district to find out what chemicals or possibly hazardous metals are in your water. Wow. I mean, they've just done an incredible amount of research. And if you ever have a need or a want to donate to an organization, donate to that organization because they work tirelessly and they are going against a huge amount of pushback when it comes to multiple different industries, whether it be the oil, gas, pharmaceutical, food industry, they're all railing against them. So they're doing incredible work. Number two is it can be very overwhelming hearing us talk about all the dangers in this world. And the way that I talk to my parents and the way I talk to my families, whether it be adults or parents of children, is that start where you're at. Don't try to be perfect when it comes to eliminating chemicals, eliminating toxins, buying a perfect diet, perfect food. I used to work in surgery and it was with a world-renowned surgeon and his motto was the enemy of great is perfect. We used to make mistakes because we would do that extra stitch. We would make that extra little cut, little extra ding, and it would be just enough that would take something that looked amazing and make us fall apart and made us look terrible. So it was a motto that I took from my previous career is that you can live an amazing life with balance. And that's just like you're doing. Cheat once in a while on your diet. Indulge but do it knowing what you're doing. So there is room to live life to its fullest, but you got to get to a point where you understand what that even means. So start small, start slow, learn. And then as you get more educated and you feel like you can do more, then do more. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you once again so much for being here. Before we say our goodbyes, where can people learn more about you, your practice? I know that you do put out there a lot of resources. You speak a lot. How can people find out where you're going to be next and how to learn more from you? Well, anybody that is listening from the state of Texas, they can come and see us and we can do virtual appointments. We can do inpatient appointments. I have offices in Austin and San Antonio. For anybody outside of the state, if they want to learn more, just call our office because we do have options as far as seeing you as well. And that meaning that we can literally do that comprehensive overview of what could be driving that chronic inflammation, what could be stopping development of your children, what could be causing your autoimmune disease. Our website is healingprovisions.net. And our offices, like I said, are there, or you can even Google my name or Google Healing Provisions and it comes up right away. Thanks for letting us have this opportunity because this can't get out there enough, Dr. E. Our future is absolutely at risk. That exponential increase in environmental exposures is not slowing down. And now with the advent of 5G, there's literally health conditions being caused by basically walking near a tower. That's a whole another episode that I've started researching a little bit so that I could bring into here. And I'm scared about it. Just looking at the data, just looking at the different hearings with the FCC. And, and it turns out that there's no research. Basically, they're going by, well, nobody has proven that it's not safe. So we can go ahead and do it. And that's not the way it works with anything else. Before you want to put out 
anything out there for the market, you need to prove that it's safe. But these guys are saying like, well, nobody has told us that it's unsafe. So we're just going to go ahead and roll it in huge cities and Los Angeles and all these different places. And I think it is very, very dangerous. Well, it's already being banned in European countries. Yeah. You know, Brussels has already outlawed it because they had tested it and it already was showing negative health consequences. And again, like in Europe, so many more things that they actually pay attention to. They said, you know what, this is a risk not worth taking for the health of our community. Yeah. And sure enough, it does have benefits, you know, increases connectivity, increases all those other things. But do we really need it? I mean, we're already streaming our movies on our cell phone and we're doing okay unless you want to watch it faster. But, you know, and again, it comes down to the enemy of great is perfect. And I think 5G is one of those situations. Completely agree with you. Well, Barry, thank you again so much for being on the show. Thank you for doing the work that you do. I think that we need more trained and qualified physicians in environmental health to help us all because one of the big, big mottos of this show is that I hated that Band-Aid medicine, that when you're sick, you go in and you get a fix for your symptoms as opposed to saying, I need to be empowered. I need to take control of my health. I need to look into these things and then make my own decisions. So once again, thank you so much for doing the work that you do. For everybody else listening, thank you so much for joining us at yet another episode. As usual, I will make sure to have links to everything that Barry recommended in our show notes. If you want to check those out, go over to dre.show. That's D-R-E dot show forward slash zero zero eight. Make sure to send us your questions. I'll try to get Barry to do a follow-up episode with us in a couple of weeks, but you need to send in your questions ahead of time so that we can make sure to address those. Once again, thank you all for joining us and I'll see you in our next episode. Thank you for listening to Dr. E's Highway to Health show, helping you learn the science of living ageless. Did you enjoy the show? Please like, share, and subscribe where you listen to podcasts. Dr. E wants to hear from you. Go to dre.show. Again, that's dre.show. Until next time, this is Dr. E's Highway to Health, helping you live ageless.